This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It's been a minute. Uh, apologies for the delay in between podcasts. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Igo. I uh, had the birth of my firstborn son. Uh, the wife and I uh, are dealing with that. So we've had a lot going on, uh, but it is a, a blessing and it, it's great to be back doing the podcast uh, on the Hoist the Colors podcast network. So we will continue now with our position previews and we had already knocked out quarterback and running back and we are going to receivers today and in our receiver preview we're going to count the tight ends as well because in my opinion they don't deserve their own podcast yet no disrespect to the tight end position but uh, we're going to talk wide receivers and tight ends today joining me as always on zoom is bobby harward bobby appreciate you coming back for today's show you talked quarterbacks a couple weeks ago now we're going to talk some receivers Yep, excited. Inching closer and closer to that uh, September 2nd kickoff date. Um, first off, you don't need to apologize to anybody. Congratulations on being a father. That's exciting news, and I, I'm sure you uh, enjoy every moment you've had with your son since his birth. So congratulations. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I was just uh, cleaning up a diaper before I uh, joined you on the Zoom call. So uh, I'm fully invested in the dad life now, as you uh, well know. A lot going on. A lot that can disrupt your plans, but luckily Erica's downstairs watching them. I'm hoping that I will not have to take a break in the midst of this show, uh, but he is uh, supposed to be asleep, so we'll see how it goes, man. Um, but yeah, excited to talk football. We are less than a month away from the start of East Carolina football, and uh, you know, we're, we're, to me, we're going to talk about one of the more exciting positions year in and year out with ECU football in the wide receiver position first. We'll talk more about the tight ends later, but I, I feel like East Carolina... Uh, you know, we've kind of joked in the past, it's almost like wide receiver U with the talent they've had, the success they've had, the experiences uh, that we've seen from so many good receivers coming through here. Uh, this year, you know, I think that there are some proven commodities for sure, but I don't know if it's the best position on the team front to back. And I, that's why I'm kind of fascinated to break this thing down, Bobby. From a from an overview standpoint, when you kind of look at this receiver cor- receiving corpse, what's kind of your main takeaway? Uh, the inexperience at the position, I think that's probably the thing that jumps out to me. Um, obviously, going into the last year, everybody was excited about C.J. Johnson coming off of a huge freshman campaign and then had a little bit of that sophomore slump. Uh, Tyler Sneed has been pretty consistent, but outside of those two, uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and, yeah, the wide receiver U is uh, kind of a nickname that we've adopted ourselves with Justin Hardy and, and Zay Jones. Cool thing about those two guys being so, uh, such under-profile uh, recruits. And then, you know, we finally get a higher profile in C.J. Johnson beating out some in-state schools, and and hopefully he can live up to those expectations in year three. 
Um, and then just excited to see how much Tyler Snead grows uh, as he's going to be a, a more focal point of the offense, but he's going to be also more of a focal point of uh, defensive game plans and taking him out, uh, taking him out of the equation, so to say. Yeah, I think it's obvious that he's ECU's go-to target. I mean, you can look at the numbers last year. C.J. Johnson had a lot of targets and not as many catches, but I think more than likely on third and five, Holton Aylers is first going to look to Tyler Sneed. You know, I thought UCF had a great game plan to try and take Tyler Sneed away last year. Early in the year, there were other some there were some other opponents that did as well. Uh, so you're going to have to have other receivers stepping up. And ECU offense, ECU's offense returns. 10 of 11 starters, Bobby. The only starter they do not return is Blake Pro. You know, I think we were both surprised that he went to the NFL. He did improve throughout the year. Another guy that was reliable and steady. When you kind of look at this thing, how big of a loss is Blake Pro? Is it replaceable? Can one guy replace him? Is it going to have to be multiple guys stepping up? What's kind of your feeling on the loss of a steady and reliable presence in, in Blake Pro? Yeah, that one hurts, uh, not just from, obviously, his production on the field, as reliable as he was, but everything I've heard about him seemed like he was a great locker room guy, really bought, bought into uh, Mike Houston's philosophy. So losing that presence in the locker room, uh, he led by example with his work ethic. All those things are, are going to be tough to uh, make up for. But to me, it's going to have to be a combined effort. Uh, obviously, I look at Adi, Adi Omotosho, and he's either going to have to take a massive leap uh, to fill that void or there's going to have to be uh, quite a few contributors and you know we have some transfers that I- I'm pretty interested to see and how they perform uh, this fall. Yeah there's a ton of I mean there's no shortage of names there's no shortage of potential guys that could emerge um, you know just looking at the roster and we'll go through some of the names in a bit um, but I first want to talk about CJ and, you know, I've, I've heard Donnie Kirkpatrick on the radio recently. He made a good point. You know, you look at CJ Johnson last year, I think he finished with 19 catches, which is, uh, way low compared to what we expected. 19 catches for 405 yards. It's still a tremendous yards per catch average, 21.3. He still led the team in receiving touchdowns with six. Uh, but 19 catches that, that total has to go up. Donnie, according to Don, uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, CJ drew 15 defensive pass interference calls last year. Uh, that is a lot of 15-yard penalties, and I think that you have to count that into the uh, equation, but I still feel like there's so much more to unlock from CJ Johnson. And I'll say firsthand, man, looking at him in person this year compared to last year at this time, he's so much more slimmed down, so much more cut. Uh, last year, not that he was uh, overweight or, or fat or anything, he just had such a big frame that he kind of carries so much weight, and I thought he was too big. This year, man, he's he's really slimmed down. I think it's going to play a big role. But for C.J. Johnson, what you know, what's the next step for C.J., Bobby? I mean, I, I think we all kind of think he has NFL potential, but clearly there was something that happened last year that made him, uh, whether it was defense's turning more attention to him or just a lack of focus at times that that kind of led to some numbers dropping off yeah first thing i noticed when you posted the weight differentials on your website was how much he had lost and i was pretty impressed by that um in terms of you know how he takes the next step to me i noticed last year especially and even towards the end of his his true freshman year uh teams were starting to get in his face press coverage and if he can consistently beat press coverage and get off the line of scrimmage 
and then also maintain a level head on the playing field. I think that was another thing. Uh, teams, you know, purposely tried to, you know, run their mouths, try to get in his head and get him out of his element or his game, so to say, and just try to make it more of a mental mental game with him just battling back and forth. So then in that, when that happens, he loses focus on what he's supposed to do each and every play, beating the guy off the line of scrimmage, stacking on top of him, getting in his route and all those things. So if he can consistently win at the line of scrimmage and beat co- press coverage and then also not worry so much about what everybody else is saying on the playing field, I think he'll take a big jump. I do think, uh, you know, he had that classic sophomore slump. Uh, it's, uh, I can see it pretty, being pretty easy. You know, as a freshman, he came in and in a way dominated, and he has so much big play potential. He's deceptively fast for his size, and I think that got in his head a little bit, and maybe he became a little bit more lax that he already had it figured out. And, uh, you know, because he came from dominating high school, school ball at H. Conley to, to putting up big numbers at ECU pretty quickly. So uh, I feel like he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's kind of re- reeled himself back in, and I'm excited to see him uh, take that big jump again here going into his third year. One of the guys that we both, I think, like his skill set, and we're kind of waiting for that next step as well, is Josiah Hatfield. Here's a guy that when he has touched the ball in the past, he's made explosive plays happen. You know, the, the touches last year went way down. I think he had only six receptions for 31 yards last season, and that was after 16 catches for 260 yards and two scores as a freshman. Now, I'll ask you this, Bobby. He was working in the slot behind Tyler Sneed, and he's got a slot receiver build at 5'9", 180. That's what he's listed as. Uh, the coaching staff has decided to move him out to outside receiver to get him on the field more. You know, you don't typically see those five nine five ten guys playing outside is that typically due to you see more press coverage on the perimeter is that a concern for Josiah as far as beating that and or is it not a concern is it can he still use the speed to get over the top I think he'll still be able to use his speed uh to get over the top but I do think the big difference playing on that outside uh receiver position is he's going to have to consistently uh beat press coverage and uh that them moving him to the outside shot surprises me a little bit. I felt like you could, you know, maybe add some two back things and put him into the backfield and, and let him be kind of a second running back or a receiver out of the backfield, so to say, or even just put some special packages in with him and Snead. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that, but I'm intrigued to see how, how it goes. Obviously I'm not out at practice every day, but, but him, uh, beating man cover or press coverage, excuse me, pretty consistently would be a concern of mine. Those are three names that we've kind of seen make some plays in the past. Cam Burnett's another guy who's returning, who's caught some balls, who's kind of a sure-handed guy. Uh, Andre Pagis is an older guy that hasn't really played a ton of offense, been more of a special teams guy. Taji Hudson, converted quarterback. Tyler Savage, a second-year guy. Um, and then you got a host of other transfers that we're going to get into and, and some walk-on kids who have, who have made an impression. So, again, you have no shortage of names here, Bobby. Uh, I think it's just a matter of who's going to practice the best, who's going to be the most consistent to kind of really take that step up the depth chart alongside CJ Omotosho and uh, Tyler Sneed. All right, let's get into our over-under picks. And as we do this, we can kind of have some more commentary because we've got some individual names to discuss um, that I just brought up, but we'll first talk about Tyler Sneed and, um, you know, I'm setting the over under at 70 and Tyler Sneed in 2019 in his full season, he had 66 catches 
2019. Last year, across nine games, 53 catches. So Tyler Sneed, I've got the over-under at 70. Uh, the team's favorite receiver the last two years, he's loved the team in receptions. Do you think he cracks that this year? Yeah, I think he, he, he passes the uh, over there. I think he surpasses the 70 uh, catch mark. I, the one thing I'm kind of interested to see is what some teams do to take him away. Um, obviously, with him playing in the slot, uh, unless you're bringing a third corner onto the field and, and p- moving your best corner inside, which then leaves CJ on an island, uh, it, it's difficult to, for me to see how you're going to take him away. I think he's going to beat safeties. He's going to beat linebackers in one-on-one coverage. Um, and then he's also very cap- capable of those 13, 14, 15 catch games because he is uh, Holton's Mr. Reliable. So I, I see him surpassing that 70 catch mark. Yeah, he's had a couple games where he catches, like you said, 10 to 15 balls or even more than that. And it seems like he's checking in with at least four to five catches per week. He has to average six catches if he plays all 12 games to get over 70. I think he does that, even though he hasn't done it to this point in his career. I think he does get over that mark. Uh, Tyler Sneed receiving yards. I set it at 800. That would be a career high. Again, in 2019, he had 759. Uh, Last year, he had only 524. Again, more of a volume catch guy than yardage, but 800 is an attainable number. Uh, what's your uh, gut feeling there, Bobby? Yeah, I think he's going to go over. I was a little concerned because, like you said, he's a volume catch guy, and he, he doesn't necessarily rack up those uh, big big yardage uh, plays. Um, but So I think with the volume of catches he'll get, though, and he'll break a tackle or two, I could see him surpassing that 800-yard that mark, and I think he'll need that 13th game to do it. <laughs> there you go, the bowl game prediction. Uh Second straight podcast, Bobby doubling down. Love it. It's back, baby. Um, Interesting thing about his yards per catch. In 2018, as a true freshman, 15.7 yards per catch. 11.5 yards per catch in 2019. 9.9 yards per catch in 2020. So his yards per catch have gone down. I don't know if that's just more attention or whatnot, but um, you 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 would like to see that maybe go up a tad. Although, like we talked about, it's just he's always going to be more catch than big plays which is fine. Uh, Tyler Sneed touchdowns, I set it at six. And this is, again, a, a number that he, you know, is, is attainable. He has gone five touchdowns each of the last two years. Of course, last year only um, only nine games. He had four touchdowns as a, as a true freshman in four games in 2018. Do you think he, uh, you think he gets six or, or more? I do. I do. I think he does. I think because he's so reliable, I think Donnie – We'll, we'll draw some plays up for him in a goal line package as well, whether it's for the outside receiver to set a little pick for him. You know, one of those, I'm using air quotes, legal picks and let him get out in the flats. Um, so I, I do. Uh, my other question, is this just solely receiving touchdowns or is this rushing as well? I'm going, uh, I'm going receiving touchdowns. Okay. I, I'll still go with six. I think he hits it. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I could see him hitting that. Uh, getting some red zone packages and stuff like that where things are drawn up specifically for him down there. Yeah, if we went with total touchdowns, you would get not only a potential rushing touchdown, you could get a kick return, punt return. So we can't let you have but so much, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to C.J. Johnson again. What to expect from C.J. this year as I was kind of trying to figure out the numbers here. I, I didn't really know what direction to go. I'm, You know, with these numbers, I am predicting a bounce-back year. 
It's just a matter of does he have like a phenomenal year or does he have a very good year? And so for C.J. Johnson, I set the over-under uh, for catches at 50. And he had 54 grabs in 2019 across 12 games. Uh, he only had 19 last year in nine games. And again, Tyler Snead, a volume catch guy. C.J., not really at times a volume catch guy. Uh, do you think he cracks 50 in 2021? I do. I think I'm expecting a big year for him. Again, I know I said it a little bit earlier, um, when I saw his weight drop so significantly like that, that shows me how focused and, and zoned in he is right now to this football season. I think he knows he uh, – I wouldn't say let people down, but probably more so let himself down uh, in terms of his production last season. So I, I think he wants to make up for it in a big way. And I think, you know, right now him and Snead are the only two re- guys that, you know, are experienced at that position um, – so, I mean, I don't see who else is getting the football outside of those two guys. Yeah, you, the thing he's got to avoid is those games where he has one or two catches um, and he just kind of disappears for whatever reason. And maybe part of that is the defense, but he's got to find a way to have more consistent games or even if he doesn't have, you know, seven catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns, at least check in with four grabs for 57 yards or something like that. Like, he's got to be more consistent um, – in that realm, I do think there has been so much talk about him this year in the offseason. If he's not motivated now, I don't know if he'll ever be. So I'm predicting the C.J. Johnson bounce back season two. I think he'll get over 50. I think it'll be similar to 2019. Uh, not a ton over 50, but maybe in that 60 range or so. Um, let's go to yeah. – you go ahead. And, no, I was just going to say, and that's the thing with him too, like you were saying in terms of the volume and the amount of balls he catches, he – he can't just be a vertical guy. Like he has to expand his game more. He has to be able to win on those quick slants. He has to be able to win on a curl route against man coverage. Like he just can't be a vertical big play guy. He needs to evolve his game a little bit more on the short and intermediate uh, routes as well, so that he can get that that um, catch number or receiving uh, reception number up. Yeah, and that's something too. If he wants to play in the NFL, you have to be able to expand your route tree and do everything. You can't just be a, a vertical guy. And unless you're an elite speed guy, which CJ is not. I mean, he can do that in college, but doing it in the NFL when you're going against 6'2 corners who can run, uh, you're going to have to be able to do more. So I agree. That will be one of the more interesting things to watch this year. Uh, CJ Johnson receiving yards. I said it at 800, same number for Tyler Sneed. Again, 405 yards last year, 908 yards as a freshman. Uh, I think based on our conversation, I, I think I know which way we're both going here. Yeah, I'm going to go the over. I think I do think he'll have a couple couple potential 200 yard games, which will you know uh, count for most of that 800 or at least half of it. And then if you think about that, he has you know nine or ten games to get the rest of it. So I, I do think he'll surpass the 800. I'm going over as well. I think he hits a thousand yards. Um, and becomes the first 1,000-yard ECU receiver since, I should know this, Trayvon Brown, I guess. It's got to be Trayvon Brown. So, sounds right. Somebody <laughs> tell me Somebody tell me if I'm not right. Um, so, there you have it, C.J. Johnson over receiving yards. C.J. Johnson touchdowns, I have it at seven. He had four as a freshman. He had six last year to lead the team. Does he get a career-high seven, or does he go over that? I'm going to say under. 
I'm going to say under the seven on that one. Uh, seven's a lot of receiving touchdowns. Uh, obviously, he did get six last year. I just I see it really difficult being really difficult for him to get to get seven touchdowns unless he does expand uh, in his uh, short and intermediate routes. Yeah, it's going to be hard to get seven touchdowns when the tight ends are gobbling up the uh, the rest of the, the touchdown receptions, um, which we'll, we'll get to later. But no, I'm going over. I think he gets. I think he gets eight. I'm going eight. I think he gets uh, a career high in touchdown catches, and I don't know why, but I just have a gut feeling. Um, all right, let's continue on, Bobby, with some of these more some of the more over unders uh, with other guys. Audio Matosho. Here's one that's tough for me to predict. Over under, I set it at 250 yards. Last year, he had 198 receiving yards on 18 catches. I don't know about you, but with Omitosho, I feel like it's going one way or the other. Like I feel like he's going to have either a monster season or he, he's not going to live up to maybe what the coaches want and then somebody else gets to play. So this is his third year as a transfer from UCLA. Listen, the guys put in the work. The coaching staff loves uh, his work ethic, everything he stands for, but it's kind of now or never. Yeah, I'd, yeah. And the over two fifty. I'm sorry, I, my internet cut, cut out. No, you're so good. I apologize to anybody listening. Um, yeah, I think he's going to go the over just from the fact of again, who else is getting the football in that receiving room right now? You know, uh, outside of CJ and Sneed, uh, really, unless one of these other guys step up. And I agree with you in the sense that he's either going to just. Uh, Blow that two fifty out of the water. I think, and I say that I think he only probably he probably ends up maybe around four fifty five hundred yards. But he's either doing that or he is completely falling on his face, and then they've already replaced him by the third or fourth game of the season. So I think you're spot on in that. But uh, I'm going to be optimistic and say he hits the over. You know, to me, watching Audio Matosha practice, I feel like he should be the vertical guy because he's got tremendous straight line speed and length. Uh, and they should use, you know, I wish they would throw the ball to him more than they do CJ on those vertical routes. Because I don't know how good Omotosho is at cutting and creating separation, but he's got great straight line speed, almost like a track guy. So I would love to see more of that if he's going to play a lot more. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Yesterday, the first day of practice, the two starting outside receivers were CJ and Omotosho. So I think it's clear they want those guys to be the top two, but we'll see how it transpires. Uh, Josiah Hatfield, we talked about him earlier. I set his over-under at 200 yards. Again, 31 yards receiving last year, basically non-existent versus 260 in a good freshman year. So what are we going to get from Josiah Hatfield in 2021? Going to under. Uh, I was uh, kind of contemplating a little bit uh, if he was playing the slot, but now knowing that he's on the outside, I, I just really don't see how that plays out. Again, I'm not at practice every day. Uh, I'm not in the meeting room, so I don't see or hear those discussions. But I'm going to go under on the 200. Oh, man, I don't. I just don't know which way to go with this. I'm going to go. You know, I think he catches one big long touchdown, and I think that's enough to get him over. So I think he has a similar year to his freshman season and makes a big play, which kind of propels him to over 200. So I'm going to go over 200 for Josiah Hatfield. Uh, Taji Hudson catches. Now, this is another interesting one, a guy who's never played receiver really before, but everything I hear in the program leads me to believe this guy has legit potential. We know following ECU that converted quarterbacks 
have a chance to really come out of nowhere and be stars at the receiver position. Not saying he will or won't be, but I, you know, I may have been a little aggressive here, but I think he's going to play a lot. I set the over-under for Taji Hudson at 20 catches this season. Do you think Taji Hudson in his first year, really full year as a receiver, uh, do you think he approaches that mark, goes under or over? Let me ask you this. Is Taji Omotosho's backup? Basically, yeah. So, okay. I mean, yeah, he could play a lot. That, the potential there, yeah, exactly. Is he could hit the 20. Right now, I'm going to stick with the under. Um, I do foresee him maybe having some more catches than you know I expect. With him being a, a high school quarterback, I, I don't know. I get a lot of hearty vibes by him just from everything I've heard about him and obviously being a, a former quarterback. Um, but I don't know. I think it's, this year is going to be a good year for him to get his feet wet, and then I really think we could see him blow up next season. That's a fair take. That's a fair take. I, I'm going over. I, I just have a gut feeling. He, he might go out and catch four passes for 19 yards this season, but, but I just I have a feeling he's going to turn into a guy by the end of the year that ECU's offense counts on. So I'm going over for Taji Hudson, 20 catches. All right, now this is a this is a difficult one because we have barely seen these guys practice. We're kind of throwing a dart in the dark. Combined catches from the three transfers, Jari Patterson, Tyree Saunders, and Ray Rose. I said it at 19 and a half. Will any of these guys emerge? Will they have zero combined catches? I mean, this is a tough this is a tough one to predict. They all have talent. Um your your first gut feeling here. Gut feeling is the under uh everything i've heard on ray wrote ray rose i would be shocked if he sees the field offensively i think he could maybe contribute special teams wise but i'd be shocked if he's a player uh on the offensive side of the ball the other two patterson's the one that intrigues me the most uh i think he's the one that could probably break out obviously uh saunders is a uh virginia tech transfer and he went to Virginia Tech for a reason, but he's also transferred for a reason. So I'm a little hesitant with that, knowing just kind of what happens with transfer. So I'm going to go the under right now. Yeah, I think to me, Patterson has a chance to make an impact this year. He's kind of working in the slot. Uh, but again, Tyler Sneed's going to take so many of those snaps. I'm going to go under as well. I think if it does go over, it's because one of these guys comes out of nowhere. I don't think you're going to see like, all three of them play and, and catch six or eight passes apiece. So I think one guy kind of has to be that guy. All right, our last uh, thing here before we move on to tight ends, wide receiver breakout player pick. Uh, no over-under here, just a pick. Do you have a guy in mind that you're looking at having a breakout year? Yeah, I'm kind of just uh, probably more so intrigued here. Cam Burnett and Tyler Savage are probably the two guys that I'm just – you know, they're two guys we hadn't mentioned much in doing this over-under. Uh, obviously, Burnett has some college football experience coming from Furman. And, uh, you know, Tyler Savage is a good-looking dude. So uh, I'm just excited to see what they can do, if they can step up and, and earn a role in this offense next season. I'm going to go Taji Hudson again. I think I just kind of lean to it uh, with the, the pick there, uh, the over 20 catches. But I really think this guy, tremendous character, Tremendous intelligence, great size. He sticks out in the receiver room on the practice field. I think Tazi Hudson is my breakout player pick for the wide receiver position. All right, there you have it for the wideouts. Let's quickly go over tight ends, Bobby. 
And I think, you know, I, I don't know if I get asked more questions about the tight end room or the offensive line from uh, the members on Hoist the Colors because it's, it just seems like the two positions have underperformed so much over the years, especially since we started covering it. Tight end has essentially been non-existent for years now, dating back to Bryce Williams, who was really the one guy uh, that we've been able to kind of point to and say he really did a tremendous job at the position. He was the X factor. He was a, a guy you had to account for every week. ECU just has not had that type of production at the tight end spot. Uh, the good news is they added some very intriguing pieces this offseason. Aaron Jarman from Temple, a proven blocker. Uh, Ryan Jones from Oklahoma, an outstanding athlete, playing offense for the first time. They returned Shane Calhoun. They returned Zach Bird. They moved Brian Gag to tight end as well. Uh, when you kind of look at this room, what are your initial thoughts on what Mike Houston's staff has been able to uh, build in that room? I think it is a lot better uh, than it was when he initially took the job. Um, and that, I know that's Captain Obvious right there. But uh, just, you know, he's had he's added people who can at least play the position and make it respectable. You may not have Bryce Williams-type production, uh, which is okay. Uh, one thing that was unique about Bryce and really helped him, he was such a weapon on the outside. We could single him up because, you know, transferring from Marshall, he was a receiver body that we just – loaded him with weight so he just yeah i think he took maybe two off seasons to just load up with weight and then uh, he still maintained that speed but you know shane calhoun is is a guy that you can rely on he looks the part he's just young um ryan jones right now based upon things that happened in the spring i have some trust concerns but again he looks the part um i'm intrigued about jarman i think he can at least add another element in the blocking game so I think you at least have people that you can uh, piece in certain parts of your offense. You just don't really have a true do-it-all guy right now that you can rely on that can be a blocker in the run game as well as a threat in the receiving game right now. And I think Calhoun could grow into that, but he's just not there yet because he's so young. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think you got guys who can do different things, but – and, you know, just judging by Donnie Kirkpatrick and Mike Houston, I do think, like you said, they want Calhoun to be that guy. Uh, but last year he was overwhelmed in the blocking game at times, in my opinion. You know, nobody graded out good in the blocking game per pro football focuses numbers. Um, Aaron Jarman, he did well uh, at Temple, especially in pass protection and solid and run blocking. So I, I expect them to utilize uh, Jarman quite a bit especially if their offensive line struggling in a game where they need some help on the edge like Tulane last year. Um, so I think that him being added to the mix is a critical piece. I think Shane Calhoun is kind of flying under the radar because so many people have talked about Jarman and Jones that I think Calhoun could have a, a very big year for a tight end. So um, let's dive right into these over-unders and we'll have some more commentary on these guys. Uh, Bobby, uh, Shane Calhoun catches, I said it at 15, uh, last year, he had five for 83 in nine games, 9.2 yards per catch. Uh, what's your, do you think he gets more involved in the passing game this year? You know, 15 might not sound like a lot, but that's still over a catch per game for an ECU tight end. Yeah, I, I do think he's more involved. I, I still am a little hesitant to put the over on 15 catches uh, just because I think that position is going to be a revolving door, especially to start the season. So uh, I think a lot of different – people in that room will get touches and they'll surpass, you know, 15 receptions for the tight end position. I just don't see him as an individual hitting that 15 mark. 
Yeah, 15's a lot. I think he doubles it. I think he gets at least 10. I think he gets tw- I think he gets 12. You know, you know what? He's going over. You know, he's going over. He's going to get 16 and I'm rolling with the over for Shane Calhoun. I think Calhoun ends up playing the most out of anybody at this position. All right, Ryan Jones catches. Donnie Kirkpatrick basically said the other day that that Ryan Jones is going to be kind of like a hybrid receiver. So I, I wonder how much they're even going to use him as an inline blocker or anything like that, or if they just line him up in the slot. To me, if Ryan Jones plays a lot, he's going to have more than 15 catches. Is he going to play a lot? I, I just don't know. I get mixed vibes just from people I talk to around the program. I really don't know what to expect from Ryan Jones. So do you have a gut feeling here any way or the other? I don't think I have a gut feeling with anything in this position room, to be honest with you. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that you were you're spot on. You just don't know. There's so much unknown, and that is worrisome as an offensive coordinator. And I think uh, what you mentioned that talking to Donnie and how he said wanting to flex about, I could see them using Ryan Jones more in that flexed out role that Bryce Williams was so effective in because he's a he's an athletic freak he's a specimen out there and he can win some matchup battles so if he can you know if he has the right mindset and he's committed day in and day out I I, I still don't see him hitting 15 I think that's a lot to ask so I'm gonna go under all right, uh, I'm going to go under as well. I just think I have to see him go out there and prove it. And maybe he goes out there versus App and he is just a weapon and catches six balls for 80 yards and a touchdown. But I, I just have to see it to believe it. I think he's got the potential, but uh, we'll see how it translates into games. All right, Brian Gag catches. I said it at one and a half. He's the converted quarterback to the tight end position. Uh, he did miss the opening day of practice, but I don't think it's anything serious. Uh, he practiced in the spring at tight end. You know, I said it at one and a half because anybody can catch, you know, catch one pass. But catching two passes, uh, it's not as much of a fluke. So, uh, do you think Gag uh, gets enough playing time to get two? I don't. I don't. I I definitely think he. I definitely think he gets one, and that one may be a touchdown late in the game. I think they they may try to reward him because here's a dude. You know, I. Had a couple jokes last season how he left the program and stuff like that, and he he's proven me wrong. He's come back and it worked his tail off to at least uh, be a presence in that tight end room. And so I was completely wrong on that, and I'm happy to say that. But uh, just because of his work ethic and, and stuff, I, I could see them rewarding him with a catch uh, down there in the goal line, hoping to get him a touchdown. But I'm just going to go one. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. I think it, like yourself, he could make a catch in a game at some point. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go under. He's probably fourth or fifth on the depth chart as of now. Um, maybe ahead of Zach Bird, who you know I just don't know what to expect from Zach Bird right now. But uh, we'll see how it translates to the game field. Again, a guy making a position change. All right, total tight end touchdowns for the 2021 season. I set it at three and a half. Now this might be bold based off last year where there was zero. But it just back in 2019, Bobby, there were six, six, half a dozen tight end touchdowns. One from Jeremy Lewis, three from Zach Bird, and two from Anthony Watley. So it can be done, and it's been done in Donnie Kirkpatrick's offense. Do you think they go over three and a half in 2021 with more talent at the position? I don't, because I think the zero last year shows you how much trust he has in them down there. I think when you get down in the goal line in the red zone area, 
I think you go to the guys who you trust with the football, trust making the play. And, and right now I just don't see a lot of trust in that room. I mean, Zach Bird has just disappeared off the face of the earth. And then Jeremy Lewis is in the defensive meeting room right now. So, you know, you lose those, those six touchdowns are gone. And right now, yeah, until they maybe Calhoun gets a handful next year, but I just I find it hard seeing them top three point five. You know, you might you might not be filling the tight end position, Bobby, but I I kind of am. I'm going over. I'm more bullish on this group, specifically Shane Calhoun, than uh, than you might be. I think Jarman gets one. I think he'll sneak out for you know he's got two career catches for two career touchdowns at Temple. I think he makes it three for three this year at ECU. I think Gag gets one. I think Jones gets one. And I think Calhoun gets two. And that's five over three and a half. So I'm going with the over. I don't know why. Uh, I do this every year. I always say this is the year ECU tight ends make plays, and it never happens. So um, just got a gut feeling, though. It's probably wrong. Well, I'm glad you're optimistic. Yeah, you can you can take that for us. I'm more of a what have you shown, and right now that room hasn't shown much. But I'm not saying that to bash the room. I think they're just so inexperienced. They have the potential to be good. I'm really excited about uh, Shane Calhoun. I'm really excited about Coleman, who came in. Um, so I, I'm excited about those young guys, and they've done a really good job recruiting that position, and they've made an emphasis. They just haven't done enough to give me confidence yet. And we talk, we haven't talked about, too, new position coach in Latrell Scott, so you're kind of redoing some things there as well. All right, last uh, thing for our position preview, tight end, breakout, player pick. Do you have one uh, out of uh, all these guys? Yeah, Jarman. Jarman's my guy. I think uh, he's going to turn into a reliable guy in the uh, blocking game, someone you can count on. And just so they're not showing their hand, I think that you will see him catch some footballs. And, hey, maybe he he does get four touchdowns in the red zone and surpasses the three-and-a-half over-under because he is a big body uh, who could be a red zone threat. Maybe not necessarily in a one-on-one jump ball situation, but he's a big body that you can just – Holton can fire it into his stomach. So, And I'm going with uh, Shane Calhoun. Again, might be a pretty easy pick, seeing as he's slated to be the starter. But I'm going more with it. I just think he gets much more involved in the receiving game this year. I think he's got a real shot to go over 15 catches, over one catch a game, multiple touchdowns. So we'll see how it transpires. But my pick is in, and my breakout pick is Shane Calhoun. And that does it for our receiver position preview a lot of good stuff there Bobby a lot of a lot of unknowns I mean really I feel like most years we go into a season with East Carolina pass catchers and we have like four to five guys you know you can rely on this year I I feel like it's not that case but you look around the rest of the offense you know what you have at quarterback you know what you have at running back you pretty much know what you have on the offensive line I think the receiver position might be, honestly, outside of Snead and Johnson, the, one of the biggest question marks on the offense. I agree. This is uh, very rare for, like you said, East Carolina. Normally, the receiver room is the one room we can count on, whether it's question marks at uh, quarterback, running back. There's, I feel like, forever been question marks on the O-line, but normally you can always hang your hat on the receiver group coming out uh, and being reliable. So, you know, I'm I'm excited. I think there will be growth. I think last year was a good wake up call for them, uh, just because they didn't get the production that they expected. Um, so I hope to see a big jump, and it's a perfect opportunity for some of these young guys 
to really make a name for themselves and step up in a big way. All right, we got a few minutes left on the show. Uh, before we get out of here, Bobby, wanted to just quickly touch on a topic that everybody's discussing, and we're going to have our own conference expansion podcast at some point where we answer a bunch of questions that we really can't answer and we're just speculating about because nobody has any idea what the hell is going on. Uh, but we're going to just briefly touch on it here because I feel like a lot of our Hoist to Color subscribers, as uh, evidenced by the thread that has like 60,000 views and hundreds of posts, uh, want to discuss. Uh, man, what a time it is in college athletics. I, I personally despise conference expansion because I feel like, A, it always hurts ECU somehow, even though it did benefit them with the American. Um but B, man, it just it's such a distraction to me. Like try I you know, I got into this business to cover the games and tell the stories of the players. And like every time there's conference expansion, it's just more about greed and money and who, you know, how can we make more money? How can we get on TV more? How can we do this? How can we hurt other teams? So I don't know. I I get the drama of it and I understand why people want to talk about it, so that's why we're gonna talk about it. Anyways, that's my spiel. Um but, man, it's been crazy to follow Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC, and that's just created a whirlwind of rumors. Um, I don't even know where to begin, honestly, Bobby. It's just been it's been crazy to follow. What's your take on all of it? Yeah, first of all, how about the Houston Chronicle just dropping that bomb out of nowhere? Like, that wasn't on anybody's radar, and then all of a sudden, and I'm like, when I saw that report, I'm like, all right, Houston Chronicle's full of it. The Deshaun Watson stuff has died down a little bit, so they're just trying to get their name out there. But um, talking about all the rumors, I saw this tweet from uh, Brett McMurphy, if anybody's on the Twitter sphere. Um, he said, if you, he tweeted this yesterday, if you're keeping track so far of all the following reports that we've heard, one, Kansas to the Big Ten is imminent. Two, West Virginia in official talks with the ACC. Three, this is wild louisiana tech and louisiana to the big 12 four florida state and clemson officials contacted sec about joining and then five the american will raid the big 12 so those are all the speculations and reports that have been thrown out just in the last week or two uh since that since the houston chronicle dropped that bomb on us um i know you said it before i think uh i trust Aresco more than I think any other commissioner of a league that ECU has been in, especially during this time, I think he's going to fight for the league. I think um, the uh, ESPN deal is going to work in their favor. I found it pretty interesting that uh, the Big 12 had a, what was a cease and whatever. Cease and desist. State, yeah, statement that came out, and then ESPN just kind of responded. and was like, no, none of that's happening. And being honest with you, I would not be shocked if all of that is happening, but obviously it's very difficult to prove in court. So uh, it's about as good of a position as you could hope ECU to be in, as long as uh, my biggest concern is the big 12 commissioner acting in spite of ESPN and trying to merge with the PAC 12. I think that's my biggest fear outside of that. I feel like uh, the big 12 will dissolve and I think ECU's, should be in pretty good shape for the American to absorb it. And maybe I'm just being a little optimistic. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is the American wants, I think the American and ESPN want the big 12 to dissolve in some form or fashion. So, you know, it'd probably benefit ECU if Kansas goes to the big 10. I don't know how realistic that is, but 
hell, I didn't think Oklahoma and Texas were actually going to go to the SEC after that report came out, and then that it happened in like less than a week. So uh, there's so many moving parts to this, so many layers to this. You had Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner from the Big 12, come out and say that, cease and desist stuff, and then ESPN fires back. And then Bob Bowlesby a week later is like, no, we're not discussing that publicly anymore. Basically kind of retracting his comments. Mike Oresko said yesterday at the AAC Media Day that uh, I think they were gross accusations that were completely unfounded. And uh, somebody asked Mike Oresko, Has, uh, have any Big 12 teams reached out to the American? And his response was, we, you know, he said, I can confirm that I have not personally reached out to any teams, but we will not discuss if anybody's reached out to us. So, now he could just be saying that to try to make it sound like the Big 12 wants to come to the American. But there's just so many moving parts here. Like you said, the one big thing that I think is in the American's favor is they just signed a long TV deal with ESPN. ESPN wants to push ESPN Plus, which is a big part of the American deal. Uh, So ESPN is fully in bed with the AAC, they're not fully in bed with the Big 12, so ESPN and the power behind it and the money behind it is going to be on Mike Oresco's side. And I think that's going to account for a lot because they could, at the end of the day, give Oresco more funds to try and attract a Big 12 conference that no longer has quite as much money now that Texas and Oklahoma are gone. So, And the Big 12 TV deal is only through, I think, 2024, 2025. And so they're kind of running up against it where at some point – if they if their TV deal expires and they don't have another home, then the conference will basically cease to exist at that point. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're going to have to hope Fox brings them on, and I don't see Fox bringing that conference back in with without Oklahoma and Texas. I uh, I know Fox has some deals with the Pac-12, so that could worry you a little bit if they negotiate something on that end with Fox. But, I mean, from just looking at, the, the Big 12 as a whole, I think you're right. I, I see Kansas going to the Big 10. I see West Virginia potentially going to the ACC, but if not, they'd be a fantastic addition into the Ameri- American. And then Baylor's another one of those. I think they're going to be pretty sought after. But, I mean, how perfect of a fit would it be and how fun would it be to have Texas Tech and TCU, uh, you know, Oklahoma State from a football perspective, but even TCU and Texas Tech just, you know, matching up with ECU in terms of football and baseball and some of that stuff that make just the conference as a whole really fun. Yeah, I just hope it works out for the best. Even if somehow the, all the Big 12 teams just stick together and stay at 8 and the American stays at 12. Like I just, I really think the American has something special going now and it's the best league ECU's ever been in. Unfortunately, ECU has been in about the worst possible run in ECU football history at the worst time. It always seems to happen that way, but I, I really do think Mike Oresco has done a, just a, a tremendous job with this conference, so we'll just have to wait and see. There are so many moving parts, so many unknowns. It's fun to speculate, fun to discuss. You know, at some point, we will have a, a football uh, conference expansion podcast discussion where we just do that. I was planning to do that with Sam Anderson, but had some plans fall through, so we'll do that at some point, Bobby, but uh, we'll let you get out of here, man. I know we both have a lot on our plate. Uh with my son Slater, you guys have a daughter and a kid on the way as well. Um, so quite a lot going on in both of our households. So uh, I appreciate your time today on the Hoisty Colors podcast. Yep, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to uh, reading more content you're putting out there with practice now getting started. 
Um, it's a fun time of the year. Um, it's a grind for everybody in that building right now, uh, but it's a fun grind. You enjoy it. Uh, when you get out of camp mode, you kind of you're relieved and stuff because you have feel like you have a little bit more time to yourself, but at the same time you miss it and you miss the camaraderie that's built, uh, you know, it being in camp mode for those two weeks. But excited that the season is close and shoot, we got football tonight in the uh, Hall of Fame game. So I'm just glad that the pigskin is back. No doubt. And the good thing about camp is once it starts, the days go by really quickly because you're always busy and the football season is that much closer. So Soon enough, September 2nd, we'll be here. For Bobby, I am Steven Igo. We'll be back with our offensive line preview sometime in the next week. Until then, you've been listening to the Hoisty Colors podcast. afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.